black science guy. Teach me something I don't know. What makes water turn to ice? Think we're watching each tool. Okay, come and have a sip. Let me tell you what it is. And just like a Bunsen burner, I'm about to get this lit. See, my specialty is biology, but I can teach you a whole lot of knowledge. See, from astronomy to zoology, what I want you to do is follow me like cell division. It's my mission, right down the middle with precision to the moon. Just like a rocket, spark up me near on flight to a socket. It's that science drip, not abstract like you did. Got my lab fully equipped, fast like a silicon chip. So check the scientific method, but that's not an illusion. Don't skip the vital step. Now you jump a new conclusion. Start on nuclear fusion, cause I'm as bright as the sun. I can't divide into two, so you know I'm the one. I'm Isaac Newton's favorite son. Setting laws in the most deep like the Mariana Trench at the bottom of the ocean. So listen to me now, I don't know how long it Last the black science guy showing yo it's the podcast so let me be honest with y'all i've had this episode holstered for the longest because of my feelings for the subject by the sound of hesitation in my voice you can tell that i'm not all too thrilled about this episode of the black science guy podcast want to know why it's because of one of the most important disciplines that runs through all of the sciences in some way, shape, or form puts me on edge. That subject would be over mathematics. You may be asking yourself, black science guy, how can you be a science guy and not like math? Well, it's not exactly that I hate math, it's just that it takes a lot of time and practice for me to understand and learn certain concepts. And even at that, I don't retain it like I think I should. When that frustration ball builds up in my stomach, I know I'm in trouble. Now give me a 20-page research paper on urban ecology or desert ecosystems, and I'm down with that. And I'm not talking about that basic algebra or the simple math that we do on the regular. I'm talking more of the calculus with analytic geometry or trigonometry type deals. The mathematics you study for certain scientific disciplines such as engineering and physics. I personally know a few people who have had to take certain college level math classes more than once. They know who they are. But keep this in mind, there are real conditions that make doing math very difficult for some people like dyscalulia, a learning disability in which you have difficulties understanding math, recognizing numbers and symbols, counting and estimating. This also includes not being able to do the simplest of math problems. If dyslexia is the disability of not being able to understand words, dyscalulia is much the same but with math instead. As far as my personal relationship with math, I believe I didn't have a very strong complex math bedrock. You know, the kind that you start to develop somewhere around middle school. Now as bad as this sounds, I learned just enough to pass my math classes, but just barely. See, you still get degrees, I guess. Dear black science guy, why don't you teach yourself something you don't know? And here we go. What do you want, anti-matter black science guy? How can you consider yourself a science guy and not be comfortable with math? Lame. <laughs> I got no problem with it. Why don't you give your show to me? Yo, I never said I couldn't do math. I just have a hard time. Hey, wait, why am I even discussing with you, bro? Today is not the day. Okay, y'all, that's Antimatter Black Science Guy. And if you hadn't already recognized his voice, he's who you hear at the start of the theme song of the show. He's the Wario to my Mario, the Squidward to my SpongeBob. He's the antithesis of the Black Science Guy. And unfortunately, this will not be the last time you hear from him. So today on this episode, 
I'm going to feature my very first ever recorded interview on the show with math professor Luis Vingachea, where we're going to discuss exactly why some people have trouble with math and how to become a better math student. But first, we'll talk a little history of math origins, and to wrap it up, we'll explore a few scientists who you wouldn't expect weren't the best at math. Let's get it. Okay, let's start with what exactly mathematics is. As defined by Oxford languages, it's the science of number, quantity, and space. Math can stand alone by itself or be applied to many other areas of science such as chemistry, engineering, physics, just to name a few. But way back before anything that resembled the math we use today, more rudimentary forms of math were possibly being used by primitive tribes in the prehistoric world. They used simple calculations that were not just made on bones called tally sticks. These were more than likely used to count numbers of things, keep track of members of the tribe, quantities of animals they hunted, and to document numbers or even leave messages. This could have possibly been the first time where the use of the base 10 positional system was used. This is largely to be believed because we as humans have 10 fingers to count on. More complex math will ultimately become an extension of these tally marks, now just using symbols to represent different values. In ancient Egypt, they too used the base 10 system and what was the earliest version of what will later become the Pythagorean theorem. You know, that a squared plus b squared equals c squared equation. This equation was utilized in the construction of the pyramids, though the ancient Mesopotamians were the first to use a 60-second minute and a 60-minute hour, essentially developing a sexagesimal place notation, a base of 60. This system used addition, subtraction, division, and multiplication, but also used geometry, algebra, squares, and quadratic equations. The widespread uses of numbers and counting came about 4000 BC in the Mesopotamian region by the Sumerians, which would become modern-day Iraq. The Sumerians were very good merchants specializing in trade and commerce. Much of these mathematics and measurements the Sumerians used then are still utilized to this day. This was also about the time when ancient cities including the Babylonians and Assyrians began to pop up and spread commerce and trade throughout the ancient world. The first true mathematics that recognized geometrical and algebraic calculations were around 1750 BC through the efforts of the Babylonians and the Egyptians. The Babylonians had a better understanding of complex algebraic problems using uniform tablets. The Egyptians, on the other hand, weren't as sophisticated as the Babylonians. But what the Egyptians did contribute was the use of papyrus, an earlier form of paper, as a record-keeping method to help algebra to survive far into the future. Around the 6th century BC, these methods of ancient mathematics made it to the modern world during the classical period thanks to the Greeks. One name that may stand out for those of you who still remember your high school or college math is Pythagoras and his Pythagorean theorem, the formula that I mentioned earlier. Then there's India, where around the 3rd century they used numeral and decimal place value systems, which were influenced both by Chinese base 10 counting boards and Babylonian place value systems. Fast forward a couple thousand years later, and you get mathematical greats like Ptolemy, Da Vinci, Johann Kepler, Sir Isaac Newton, and Katherine Johnson, just to name a few. They use math and its principles to create order in an otherwise chaotic universe. It's also to be believed that we were ever to make first contact with an extraterrestrial race, Mathematical or musical approaches may be the only way to communicate since math and music, which also uses mathematical concepts, is a possible universal language. There's way more history and discussion on this subject that I left out, so feel free to study up if it's something that sounds like it's interesting to you. And that's just a little bit of history about the origins of numbers, counting, and math.
I had the chance to sit down with Professor Luis Vingochea, a mathematics professor at Gateway Community College, and ask him for some of his wisdom and advice on the subject of math and why some people like myself have issues with doing math. Here we go. Hey, what's good, y'all? This is your black science guy with my first interview. I'm with Professor Vingochea at Gateway Community College. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thanks for inviting me, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to be here and honored that I'm your first guest. Oh, ah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so just getting a little bit of background about you. Like, like, how long have you been teaching? Okay, yeah. Um, so I've taught college and high school math. I started teaching high school math first. That was back in 1998. Mm. I was straight out of college, straight out of ASU. And so if you count from, from there, 1998, I've been teaching for about 24 years. Oh, wow. And I started teaching adjunct, adjunct for, a, uh, for Gateway in 2011. So that's going on 11 years. And for the past six years, I've been full-time college math here at Gateway. Okay. Okay. Yep. So you, do, you like, do you like this version of te- on the college level? Do you like that te- teaching that a little bit more? Or? Yes. Overall, I do like teaching college more. I mean, I, I love to teach in high school, but you do get more of the behavioral issues, dealing with the parents kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you teach college, you're, you're dealing with adults. Yep, yep. So it's less drama, if you will. But I do miss, like, joking around with the high school students. You know, they, they like my corny jokes a little bit better. <laughs> and they la- You know, and so uh, that's one aspect that I, that I miss, you know. But overall, I do prefer teaching college, yeah. Okay. All right, so... All right, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but this episode is that I'm doing is dealing with my journey through science. And this is this is the funny thing. I remember growing up and I remember, I don't know if you remember this, when you see like the college professor with the huge chalkboard yes. and there's like tons of <laughs> equations on it. And it's like, it just looked really super smart and sciencey to me. So uh-huh. that's kind of like one thing that like kind of, you know, attracted me to science. But now get like a complex algebra equation, even though I practice it and stuff like that, I still just lose it on a test. So what I want to ask you is, why do you think some people have difficulties understanding math? Well, that's a very good question. It could be multiple reasons. I think one thing is really the anxiety. I know there's a whole like right brain, left brain aspect to it. For me, math always came easy. At a young age, I was able to pick up on the patterns, memorize stuff. And so when it came to math and science, I knocked it out of the park. Now, if he asked me to read a novel and write, and write an essay and do all that kind of stuff, I struggled with that point. <laughs> so it, it's a little bit of the right brain, left brain, you know, part to it. The other thing, I, I believe that students at a young age, they don't build their math foundation that strong. And it could be, again, multiple reasons. It could be, unfortunately, at a young age, maybe their elementary teachers didn't teach them math that well, or they didn't know math that well, so they didn't spend that much time on it. And so these young kids don't build that foundation. You know what I mean? It could be a number Mm -hmm. of things. But that's the main thing. They don't have a solid foundation, so they get nervous when it comes to math. They get that anxiety. And so when it it gets to high school, college, and they're in that uh, college algebra class and it's time to take a test all those old memories come you know come (laughs) flying back and it's a little bit of math anxiety and they struggle they stress and you know how it is if you if you start stressing about something you get nervous it affects your brain you're Mm -hmm. gonna forget things so so um that actually goes into question number two so you think that that's what it is is anxiety 
or do you think that some people could like have a natural aversion to math? Like you said, with the left and right brain, mm-hmm. like like some people they can pump out a twenty-page English paper, no problem. Right. You know, give it to me all day. But then you give them twenty college-level algebra problems, and they're just ready to rage quit. Right. No, I understand. I'm never gonna say. I'm never going to say never. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm never going to say, oh, yeah, this student is never going to be able to do math. It just might take them longer to get to that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it get, and I'm a firm believer. It's kind of an old school method, but I'm an old guy. Where practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, if you do enough problems, if you work at it long enough, put enough effort into it, I think everyone can break through that wall. It just might take some people longer, more, you know what I mean, more time than others. But I'm never going to say never. But I do see it as a teacher, especially when I was teaching high school. Some people do have that mental block when it comes to math. It just, they got to fight through it. And it's like a light switch. I've seen this so many times where, and, and again, I'm going back to when I was teaching high school, where I get a student where maybe they didn't even know, like they're in high school, they didn't know their times tables. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't know your times tables, you can't yeah. solve equations, you mm-hmm. can't graph, you yeah. can't do all this other stuff. So it was like literally this mental block. I worked with them, they put in enough time and effort, and it, it's literally like a light switch. Like one day, they can't do five times five, and then, just, and then it snaps, it clicks, it. and the next day they're doing quadratic equations. Wow. And so it just, like I said, it takes some people longer to break through that wall, but I think everyone is capable of, of doing it. Now, do you think you can tell when students truly just need to either have anxiety or maybe they just need to study a little bit more? Or there, there is actually a disorder. Um, I, um, I can't think of the name of it offhand, but it's basically like dyslexia for math. Mm-hmm. It's it, it starts with the same letter, a D letter. But right. It's it's literally like dys, dyslexia for math. It's like okay. when they yep. when they see math problems, it's it jumbles. It basically it looks like a foreign language to them. Can you tell? I mean, I don't know if you ever actually dealt with that with the student or. Yeah, I can't think of the name either. I I, I remember uh, uh, reading about it. I personally never. At least it wasn't diagnosed. I personally never dealt with someone who, who had that that. Uh, I can't even think right now. It's been a long day. <laughs> I can't think of, think of anyone offhand who had that uh, condition. Mm-hmm. You know, at least it wasn't diagnosed. But I definitely, because I've been teaching for what I say earlier, 24 years, mm-hmm. I can definitely tell when someone is going to be struggling. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, they, if I'm working with them and they're working on a problem and I see they get stuck at a certain point, you know, and I can, and I ask them questions, and they they look a little lost. And I'm like thinking to myself, okay, this student might need more time, more tutoring, some more resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what do you think are some of the techniques or methods or like your advice for people who you know have trouble with math or might not understand it? Mm-hmm. Really. One, just you got to put in your time. You know, that's one thing that I really stress. Here at Gateway, when I see a student who's struggling or they come up to me and they say, hey, I'm struggling, I need extra help or I need assistance, I'm like, okay, let's meet, let's meet in my office hours, let's do some practice problems or go to tutoring, you know, go to the learning center. Practice makes perfect, you know, just repetition, repetition. The other thing is taking good quality notes. It's not surprising if a student does come up to me and say, hey, I'm struggling or I notice that they're struggling. When I talk to them and I say, all right, let me see your notes. <laughs> they either one, don't have them or two, they're not detailed. They're, they're just like a couple of numbers just 
scribbled on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. You need good quality notes. Mm -hmm. And so you can go back and refer to them. The other thing I like to do, I'm sure you've noticed it in class, I think being color coordinated helps. So when I'm writing out the problem, I don't write it out all in one ink. Mm -hmm. That things kind of blend Blurry in damage. together. Mm -hmm. That's why I try to do it to where like each step is a different color. I'm circling things, boxing things in, drawing arrows. Little things like that where every step is laid out, broken down into my, uh, different steps. I like to break things down into chunks so it's easier for students to follow. Things like that, but the number one thing is you got to put in time. Uh, again, I ask students who are struggling, okay, how, much, how, how long did you put on this assignment? Or have you gone to tutoring? Or, you know, when was the last time you attempted homework? Mm -hmm. And mo most times than not, it's like, well, I haven't done it since last week. <laughs> uh -huh. You need to keep on top of it to keep it fresh in your brain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Final question. This, this actually, this question actually comes from a listener oh, nice. who, who has a younger child in school mm -hmm. and they're teaching them the, the common core math. And I just want to get your opinion on what you think about common core math versus the traditional methods of learning math. Ooh, that's a good one. So when I stopped teaching high school, that was about six years ago. The AZ merit was just coming into play. So I didn't have to deal with it that much. Like I dealt with it early on. So the last couple of years that I taught high school, it was almost kind of like a warning, you know, hey, warning, warning, common core's coming, mm -hmm. common core's coming. So like I dealt with it a little bit because we, we transitioned from the traditional testing and methods to the common core. So I personally don't have that much experience with it because then I, I left, became full-time college. Mm -hmm. And once I left is when everything happened, all the, yeah. the, the change came in. But like I said, I'm kind of old school. <laughs> I'm old school. And so the methods that I was taught and that I learned as a kid and through high school, yeah, they're a little bit different now. And I understand the reasoning behind it. On paper, Common Core is supposed to help students do, do better at mental math. Mm -hmm. it, there, it's a different way of breaking down the problem. And it's supposed to be more visual and it's supposed to be more beneficial to the student in the long run. I personally resisted resisted it a little bit just because I'm old school. I'm, I have a I have five nieces. I have a number of friends who they um, I, have, I have five nieces and I'm always helping them with math. A bunch of friends who they tell me, hey, can you tutor my, my son, my daughter in math? And I remember when Common Core was first coming around, I would break down the problem. I was like, all right, this is how you do it. And then they would say, well, my teachers want me to do it that way. <laughs> you know, that, that's the wrong way of doing it. And I'm like, what? So it took, took me a little getting used to. So again, because of my age, I'm probably not fully on board with mm -hmm. Common Core, mm -hmm. but I understand the purpose behind it you know it's supposed to be like i said more visual it's it's supposed to help students break it down more i know they they do more word problems story problems and that's something that students struggle with so i think in the long run you know it's it's going to be more beneficial for students i think the way it was implemented also was a, a, a reason why there was so much pushback mm -hmm. is because it was like for years you're doing it one way one way one way and then it was almost kind of like out of nowhere all right now we're doing common we're doing core it. so you had all the not only were the students resisting it you had teachers oh. resisting it because they were like well I'm, i was teaching it this way now you want me to do it this way like almost overnight mm -hmm. So if they would have implemented it more gradually, baby steps, yeah, yeah. I think 
it would have been a smoother transition. Because now, I mean, now Commons Corner has been around for, I mean, I don't know how many years now. Yeah, it's been like quite a while. Yeah. yeah um, I stopped teaching high school about six years ago, maybe. So add a couple years onto that. So now it might be a little bit better, a little bit more easier to to teach. But like I said, yeah, at first there was a big pushback on it. So like I'm slowly getting on board. I, like I said, I know the reasoning behind it, but I think it was just the way it was implemented. Probably could have done, could have been a better way. Gotcha. Yep. Well, thank you for joining us today, Professor Vingajay. Hey, my pleasure, Chris. Good luck with everything. Um, like I said, I'm honored to be your first guest and I wish you uh, the best of luck. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Have a good one, everyone. Now, for those of you who are considering a career in STEM and STEAM fields and math isn't your strongest suit, you're in great company. There are scientists who have had a very weak background in mathematics, some very well-known people who are still able to be great in their fields, even though they had difficulties. One of the most notable scientists that had the disdain for math was naturalist Charles Darwin. Now, it wasn't like Darwin didn't grasp the concepts, he just accepted the fact that he was a slow learner. He made it clear to his instructors and tutors that he was just plain bad at it. He later admitted further into his studies and career that he wished he had been more of a patient learner of math when he was younger. Another well-known scientist who didn't understand many concepts in math was inventor Michael Faraday of Faraday Law fame. He was known for his experiments in electromagnetism, electrochemistry, as well as inventing the electric motor, generator, and the Faraday cage, just to name a few of his many accomplishments. Though he had no formal education, he would be granted an honorary doctorate from the University of Oxford in civil law. And because of having no formal educational background, many of his early ideas were unfortunately ignored in academia because though his theories made sense and essentially did work, he couldn't produce the mathematical proof to back up said theories and be able to present in a way that you know, showed how it worked. So this goes to show just because you're not professional in certain areas of education doesn't mean you still can't achieve greatness. Here we are at the end of another episode of the Black Science Guy podcast. And I want you all to know, this episode isn't dissing or bashing math at all. I appreciate math and the things that it contributes to society. We wouldn't have technology like video games, smartphones, or even streaming services to be able to enjoy this fine podcast that you love. We use math like geometry and trigonometry and so many everyday things from playing sports or the construction of homes and roads to even driving your vehicle. I'm hoping one day that I'll wake up and it'll all makes sense to me but until then i guess i'll just keep trying and learning thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the black science guy podcast and like always i don't have all the answers no one does but what i do know i'm happy to share and what i don't we can learn together peace please check out the black science guy podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts later